best thing. Okay, obviously season 16. But season 16. We're, I'm so excited about that. We're teenagers. It's, <laughs> it's our sweet, sweet 16 season. Thank you for all your beautiful requests. I do want to say today, I loved this. I'm doing <laughs> a, a lesson on Constantine the Great. And the students are writing, like, do they think this emperor was a good emperor or a bad emperor after mm-hmm. we did all this research? And a little girl comes up to me while she's starting to write her defense and goes, does this person go by they, he, or she? Like, attempting to make the pronouns in their essay accurate. Oh. And I was like, I love these babies. Yeah. I love them so so much it was the sweetest thing uh, just to like you know be thinking about how can I write this in the most respectful way you know I love that things I do love that things are changing yeah you know and that kids now are at least trying to grow up as more thoughtful people like obviously there are going to be terrible people in this world, sure. no matter what we do, no matter what the generations are. I just we but shit on we shit on this generation so do. much, we and do. I was just like, that was a beautiful moment <laughs> in the life of sweet. that one thirteen-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about your thirteen-year-old. No, student. we're no. here to talk about history on the rocks with Katie and Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance and 16 seasons worth of women with nuance. We've got 30 fresh chicas for you. Yes, we do. Uh, But keep in mind, while we're telling their stories, we are drinking. And we're not historians. No. God, no. We like to Google. We like to watch YouTube videos. Um, frankly, there were a couple YouTube videos on my person this week, but they were all two-hour-long university lectures. And I thought, you know what? Nope. I can't do that. No, 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 no. That's uh, not fun. A two-hour documentary. Sure. Yes, I will watch that. A dream come true. A two-hour-long talk. I can't. I'm so no. sorry, everyone. I can't. I mean, I watched two hour documentaries on football players. Yeah. I know nothing about them. I'm like, yeah, let me know more about Patrick Give me some Mahomes. Cuts. Give me some music, some one on one, some archival footage. I want to see the look, <laughs> the fits. <laughs> <laughs> but, anyways, um, but while we're doing this podcast, you're busy. While you're listening, you're busy. You're sitting at an actual two hour college lecture, but you have your <laughs> AirPods hidden under your ears. Yep. But you don't want to bring out your phone because then they'll know. Right. They'll know and then you won't get credit for the class sure. that you're taking. Crazy. You have to get all three credits. You have to. Um, so while you're listening to your lecture slash us, we're going to describe what they look like so you can have a picture in your head while we're telling their story. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? I am doing the icon, Angela Lansbury. I'm so excited. She has a very sweet face, almost like a bunny rabbit look about her, I think. She has big, wide-set eyes with um, very, uh, like, very nice eyelashes. And she decorated them almost like Twiggy. Like, they were very, like, Mm -hmm. especially when she was young, like, thick and clumpy mascara yeah Mm -hmm. very bold she usually has a red lip on or dark pink even in her old age Mm -hmm. because she's a very pale complexion Mm -hmm. she was bringing her lips out she has kind of strawberry blonde light reddish hair 
um, that's parted and kind of quaffed up around her face. Mm-hmm. And um, in her young years and in some movies, she has very long, wavy locks. <laughs> but typically, her hair was cut just mm-hmm. pretty short. Just yeah. that, that short mom look. Yep. She loved the mom look. <laughs> she, she was forced into the mom look yeah, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so who are you doing and what did they look like? I am doing Julia Morgan. Uh, she is an architect and she is, they're not a, there aren't a ton of pictures of her, but most of them come from like her later professional life. Um, so she's typically pictured as an older woman with her hair up in kind of a 40s style twist. She has a small turtle-like face, which is so funny because you both- said funny. <laughs> the tortoise and the hare. We have the tortoise and the hare tonight. Oh my gosh, is this the folklore season? It must be. I knew it. I always knew it. But she has round eyes, a petite nose, and round, thick framed glasses. She always wore a very practical wardrobe, but still appropriate for her time period. So long, dark skirts with a starched collar shirt and a suit jacket. She always preferred to wear a suit jacket because she could carry everything she needed without a purse. And she had an iconic big hat. Frankly, some photos of her look like Diane Keaton to a T. I love so this. picture Diane Keaton, but like in the 30s. So <laughs> Diane Keaton as a Puritan. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. In the 20s and 30s. I like that. Um, I know I've been throwing out a lot of decades, but she lived a while and she had a very, very long career. Um, and even at her small stature of 5'2", she made a huge huge impact on the world of architecture, even though you probably have never heard of her. Have not. I can't wait to get I'm it among the counted. <laughs> I'm among I'm among the never heard of hers. All right. Wow. Now we need to get into what we're drinking. What we're drinking. And who requested. Oh, okay. So sister, ah, sister librarian Marjorie from the third floor requested Angela Lansbury. So Angela Lansbury passed away just this just this year, uh, at almost a century old. And after that happened, Marjorie, my sister saw a couple YouTube videos about her and was like, Allie, put her on the list. She has a bananas life. And I was like, Angela Lansbury, yeah. really? <laughs> like, this is pot. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jessica Fletcher? I don't <laughs> think so. She, like, seems super normal. So I'm blown away. Thank you, Marjorie. This was fun, fun research. Uh, I love it. Okay, what well, about yours? Mine was requested by Miss Krista, longtime listener, number one fan of the show, Miss yeah. Krista. She likes us more than I like myself. I know. It's outrageous. It's great. It's great. Um, so thank you. So our cocktails tonight are dedicated to Marjorie and Miss Krista. Yay. So Good job, guys. What are we drinking first? Not our Marjorie. This is called <laughs> Stardom She Wrote. Ooh. Is that a murder she wrote? Get it? Everybody it. get it? Okay. So I muddled. Pineapple, lime, and mint together, like fresh mint leaves. Uh And then I added rum on it and mixed it in, and then white wine. So it's like a white wine sangria. The reason I did this is Angela Lansbury said that her long life partially is because of the wine she drinks. (gasps) And same girl. Perfect. Cheers. Cheers. Mm, Rum and wine and fruit. Who knows? Very interesting. It is interesting. There's a lot of stuff going on. It tastes like Angela Lansbury. Palette. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I used coconut rum. Ooh, yeah. I think that would have hit different. I think so. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Everybody at home use coconut rum. <laughs> but it's still good. I mean, I yeah. like the I do like the flavors. Um, 
White sangria is very interesting to me because it's I, hard to nail down. It is. It's you got to have a lot of citrus in there, I feel like. Yeah, and it also like can be too sweet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you do it wrong. Okay. Yeah. What do you know about Dame Angela Lansbury? I know that she was a Broadway baby. Um, she or probably started on the West End, I guess. Um, but I think I feel like she came from a theater background. That's just the vibe I get from her. Um, I know that she was Mrs. Potts and Beauty and the Beast. I know that she was on Murder, she wrote. And I I think she's British. We'll see. Kind of an uh, ambiguous <laughs> background. Um, so, yeah, but that's really all I know is she is just always, like, the cute little old lady who is more capable than you think she is. That's, like, her character that she plays. Yes. She's That's all I know. Definitely a typecast little little yeah. lady. Okay, so I'm going to tell you about Angela. I hope that every second of this enthralls you okay. as it enthralled me. So you are right. She was born in London as Angela Lansbury on October 26th. That's close to your birthday. She's oh a Scorp- gosh, Scorpio. Three days after. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1925, her mother was a fairly successful Irish actress really? named Moina McGill. Her father was a former mayor in England okay. named Edgar Lansbury. He was a suffragette. He Look at was him. I know. He was into the Labour Party, like communists, like the workers' rights, unionizing. He was like very political. Hmm. She's the second of four. Um she has an older half sister that is never kind of in the picture. It was from her mom's okay. from a first marriage, mm-hmm. but she has younger twin brothers. She was surrounded by both art and culture from her mom and politics from huh. her dad. Mm-hmm. So her mom would have these um, saloons in their living room, salons in their living room. <laughs> saloons. saloons. <laughs> the Wild West. She was like, I know we're in the middle of London, but get your pistols out. <laughs> Kitty Pride is here. <laughs> Ten gallon hats. We're get having, ready for a cabaret. We're having a saloon. <laughs> Salon, a French salon is what I meant, in her living room. And Angela said as a young child, she was used to seeing like these artsy, large bosomed women just laying on the couch getting painted. But then also like her dad and granddad, who was also like a political guy in London, would take her to political rallies and she would listen to speakers talk about women's rights and workers' rights and all these things from a very early age, both arts and the integrity of all people having their rights were big for her. She understood the value of two very separate worlds right away. Now, when she was young, she wanted to be her dad. She okay. wanted to be a politician. She wanted to be an activist. But at nine years old, unexpectedly, her dad passed away no. from like liver cancer <gasps> or some sort of cancer. Uh, She lost the most important person in her life and was heartbroken Mm. and has since said on multiple occasions, nothing before or since has had such an immense impact on my life, which is shocking because there's a lot of shit that goes down in her life that we're about to hit. But Mm. losing her dad at an early age just really broke her, especially because now they're in a dire situation. It's the 1930s. Her mom is a single aging woman with four children and like. You couldn't act back then when you were aging. Yeah. If you were old, you were done. So they're running out of money. Angela is not even a teenager, and she is in charge of her two little brothers. The older half-sister, I don't know where she is, but Angela 
has become the caretaker in the household. Nine years old. Mm. We recognize her for playing elderly women today, but even back then, at nine or ten, she became her mom's partner. Oh, my god! She was the partner in the household. She discovered an escape from her grief in acting, just, like, to get on with her life. But in daily life, she would, like, sit on the bus or whatever and do a caricature, and she would not break character. So she would one day be, like, a gangster's wife. And then, like, the next day be, like, a retired film star. And she'd stay in character all day. And her mom was like, whoa, like, (laughs) you're really good at this. And she started coaching Angela in acting. She taught her songs and monologues. And um, next thing she knew, her daughter was creating her own songs and her (gasps) own dance routines and her own monologues. And her mom did everything she could to scrape together some money and have Angela audition, and she ended up getting a scholarship so, so she could go to dramatic art school. Mm-hmm. So they, she worked really hard to get her daughter here. She started to hone her skills and made a new friend, Glennis Johns, who ends up being the mom in Mary Poppins. Like, they both end up famous. What? Isn't that funny? They went to art school together in London. It's also funny because they look similar. Yeah. Don't you feel that? Yeah, I do. No, I do. Yeah, I absolutely think so. I mean, wow. it must have just been, like, of the era. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So I thought that was cool. Um, she's just a teenager, and her career is starting to take shape. But also, as a teenager, it's super dangerous to live in London because the Blitz is starting oh to gosh. take place. And just like in Bedknobs and Broomsticks and The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and Peter Pan 2, they ship their kids out of town to mm. the countryside so, to keep them away from the bombings. Mm-hmm. But Angela wasn't a kid. Even though she was a kid, she was her mom's partner, and she found work driving an ambulance to save people from the bombings in London. Oh, my god! As a teenage girl. And her mom is like, you can go to the countryside if you want and be with your brothers, or you can stay here. She stays. She decides she's going to stay. Um, but just when things were getting really bad, Moira secured passage on a ship out of the U.K. to New York City. It was the last ship out of London before the German blockade. Oh, my gosh. They have escaped, and now Angela is an American. <laughs> that's to – she's in from America from now on? Yeah. Her, that's her Mostly. There's one other okay. time she moves back to Europe, but just for a very short wow. bit. That is wild. She actually is uh, one of the few people in the world who has um, citizenship in three countries. Wow. Yeah. Very she is cool. a official citizen of three countries. <laughs> so cool. Um, okay. They could bring nothing. As a, She's a refugee. Let's make that very clear. She is a refugee from her country. She's allowed to bring nothing. They land in New York. Her, her mom, and her two brothers start from scratch in Greenwich Village. They are surrounded, of course, by bohemians and artists. And her mom has a large number of male friends that are gay. And Angela said, I was around a lot of gay men all the time. My mom knew a ton of them. And it was astonishing to me how many actors, which she never named, were actually gay men. Yeah. So from a young age, she has this full acceptance that love is love and people are people and Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. New York, it's the 1940s. It's the epicenter of art and culture. But they had little prospects or connections. Her and her mom would make $25 a pop performing Shakespeare at local high schools. Oh, my gosh. They were making nothing. Angela's 16. She's not going to school. 
She's taking care of her brothers during the day, lied about her age so she could work in nightclubs in the evening. So she's like Mila Kunising it, mm. just totally lying. I'll be 19. Mm-hmm. Um, but these two years in New York City are super tough. And Moina is like, it's not working. Mm-hmm. So where else do you go to be an actor in America? Right. L.A. Let's mm-hmm. go to L.A. <laughs> so Angela is 17 years old. She arrives in L.A. with $20 in her pocket. Her mom had gotten remarried at some point and is living with this guy. So Angela is 17, 20 years old in L.A., 20 bucks. Wait, 17 years old? Yeah. Okay, sorry. So it's 17, it? 20 years old. Oh, 17 years old, <laughs> 20 bucks okay, in her pocket. perfect. Her and her mom both get jobs working at a department store, mm-hmm. and Angela got a second job at a theater, but it wasn't in acting. It was a gory horror show theater, and she had to walk up and down the aisle with the um the smelling salts for the people who fainted. Oh, my god! To, like, get them back awake. <sighs> at her mom's parties, she had this, like, party trip where she would, like, replicate the sounds of cats mating on a tin roof. And every people loved it. They thought she was so funny. She was, like, performing for her mom's performer friends. <laughs> Quite a comedian. Uh, then some luck came her way. Through a friend, she got to audition at MGM, and she caught the eye of a director who was looking for a devious, horny maid in <laughs> Gaslight. Okay. So her first film is where the phrase gaslighting comes from. No. So gaslighting, have you ever seen the movie Gaslighting? No. So in the, she's the maid in this film. She's not the lead. Uh-huh. But in the movie, the husband keeps turning down the lamps so they flicker. And the wife is like, there's not enough gas. There's not enough gas. And he's like, what are you talking about? So that he can eventually get his wife put in an institution. Oh. That's where the term gaslighting comes from. My God. Yeah. So the husband is slowly making his wife look crazy because he's also flirting with this maid who, like, is supposed to be the sexy, devious, young maid. That's crazy. I did not know. Yeah, that's where it comes from. Yeah. Hey, little fun fact for everybody. I'm sure I heard that from someone else, like a podcast or something somewhere. I'd never heard that before. That's really Mm -hmm. wild. Uh, Also kind of makes me want to see the movie. Yeah. Angela's in it. Got you, then. Um, So she... At first, MGM is like, she's way too young for this position. But at the audition, she carried herself like a much older woman, as she had in all the nightclubs in New York. And they're like, all right, we want you. So she goes and tells the department store, I'm leaving for a better job. She must have been a good employee because they're like, we'll match it. And she goes, it's MGM and it's $500 a week. Where she had been making like $27 a week. And they're like, good riddance. Have a good time. (laughs) Have fun at MGM. When she watches the movie, mm-hmm. Gaslight Now, she's like, movies were so new to me, I didn't know my ass from the hole in the ground. Like, she had no idea what she was doing. Um, she had never dated anyone. She's never had sex. She's flirting with this married man on set. Um, and she had no idea how to be a seductress. But she looks back and she's like, I did damn good. <laughs> and MGM actually delayed all of her smoking scenes until she turned 18. Oh my god. Which is shocking to me because they were like raping women. They were like raping women, putting women on pills, uh, like when they were not. And they're just like, Angela Lansbury, no, we're not going to allow her to smoke. smoke. It's so weird, too, especially because, like, at that point in time, everybody was like, smoking's really good for you. Because smoking is good for you, didn't you know? (laughs) Didn't you know? I did. I mean, (laughs) it's better than vaping, I've heard. Um, Okay. But um, she adopted this cool confident 
persona and everyone at MGM is shocked at how mature she is. Mm. And she steals the show. This is her first movie role. She earned a nominee for an Oscar. What? For Best Supporting Actress. Are you kidding She's me? She's 19 years old. First movie. That's ridiculous. Seems like she hit big time <laughs> because then she gets cast in the picture of Dorian Gray. She's Angela Sybil, or she's uh, Angela is Sybil Vane, small time cabaret singer, falls in love with Dorian Gray. Um, they cast her because they thought she kind of looked like a woman from Victorian pornography. And huh. they're like, this is very interesting. Uh-huh. Gets nominated for Best Supporting Actress again <sighs> at the Oscars. Later in an interview, she says she's really glad she didn't win these two Oscars at 19 and 20. Yeah. She's like, I feel bad for actors who win so young because what else yeah what mm-hmm. else what are you pushing for then she did however win the golden globe for her role in the picture of dorian gray banana she's i know so young. so young her career looked bright but mgm didn't think she was star material they judy greered her no. in everything are you kidding me? she was a side character and they were not like propping her up like they were with other stars they weren't setting her up with a guy and putting her on ads they were just like eh, eh, eh. and if you look at old pictures of her she's stunning oh they gosh. were like she's not pretty enough she's so cute and like she was up against the, that's the thing she's cute and she was up yeah. against the likes of like hetty lamar mm-hmm. she's in a film with hetty lamar where hetty plays the lead and she's the side character well and because she, she has like that baby doll face mm-hmm. and i think that you know she it's weird because she carries herself as a much older woman, like you were saying, but she looks very young yes, little in girl. her face. And I, again, like, I feel like they were like, mm, you're more side character or like, you're not quite the look we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Like you can be the, what are they called? Like the coquette. Like, yeah. the, like again, like the maid that's trying to sleep with the husband, but you can never be the wife. Exactly. Um, it's funny because it, they're like Judy Greering her and Judy Garlanding her. At the same time. At the same time where they're like, well, we're not going to do all the things that we're doing for the other girls with you. Like, I not, don't know. With you. not with you. So there's a little bit of bitterness there. Yeah. Um, then things start to look up because she meets an actor and artist named Richard Cromwell. He saw Dorian Gray and became enamored with her. He was like, I, I'm in love with her. <laughs> and she's like, this is going to kickstart my life uh-huh. because she's starstruck by him too she has like had like posters of him in her bedroom when she was a kid he was like the jonathan taylor thomas of the day mm. um so they start dating she's 19 they very quickly get married he's he? much older okay. very quickly get married she was a young girl looking for glamour and attention mgm is not giving it to her so she married this guy the marriage is great at first he was friends with a ton of great actors. He introduced her to all of them. His new wife. Come and meet Angela. Um, but unbeknownst to her, the marriage was a band-aid for Richard because he was a closeted gay man trying to pretend he wasn't. Oh, so he was he, trying to fix himself oh with God. her. Well, and it's annoying because like Angela's already been around that. So it's like if he had maybe asked her to be that, that she may have. Yeah. Or oh, help. No, but then he's, oh God. She had no idea and she was head over heels. It's so sad. 
many Especially of because this makes me sad for both of them yeah he shouldn't have had to live that no way. he should not have he's and not the bad guy here no, mostly no and angela shouldn't have had to have her heart broken like that like, right that makes me so sad Many of his friends were gay, and magazines kind of used coded language to describe him at the time. So mm. it was kind of an open secret, but yeah. she didn't know. After nine months, he burgered her. She came home to a note no. that said, I'm sorry, darling. I can't do this. And that's it. No. That was it. That is burger. To a T, what burger does. Yeah. That's insane. She's heartbroken. She blamed herself. Um, he at the time had made some statement to the press about the breakup. He was like, there's just tea bags all over the house. All she does is drink tea. What? Which is another sex in the city thing. I was like, did they yes. take this relationship? <laughs> they must have. They because, have to yeah, know about Harry this. Harry leaves tea bags all over the house. Yeah. And those are in the same era, those two storylines. So yeah. Maybe they got a new writer that knew a lot about Angela Lansbury. <laughs> I guess. Maybe it was her son. He's wow. like in publishing now yeah. or like he's in acting or whatever. Anyway, she's heartbroken. She goes to Richard's um, psychologist or therapist to, like, talk it out. And he's like, all I can tell you is it's not your fault. Wink, wink. Um, but she just couldn't wrap her brain around it. He was the first guy she had sex with. This is her first sexual experience. She knows nothing. Anyway, one day it strikes her. Oh, my husband was gay. It like hits her like right. a little bit later. Like no one had told her. It was like a light bulb for her. Um, he was carried away with the idea that it would straighten him out. And um, it should have never happened. She yeah. says over and over again. But unfortunately, um, it was easier to present as straight back then. They were close until his death in the 60s. Well, I'm glad they got to kind of smooth that over because it's frustrating to me that he didn't even give her a chance to understand what was going on because i hate that when people just leave and then you're like wow like am i so disgusting that like <laughs> it's my fault yeah it's my fault like what did i do wrong you so, know some of the stuff i read is that the movie the dorian gray movie he saw her in dorian gray is kind of a coded gay character uh -huh. and it worked out with him and the girl she was playing so i think he was really kind of laying it on strong oh. Um, but that was other people's perceptions of it. So I don't know if that's true or not. So anyway, she realizes she needs to slow down and make better, better decisions with her life mm -hmm. and her career. So she starts advocating for herself. She goes to MGM and goes, I want to lead. They said, sure, do a few more background roles and then we'll get the lead. And she's like, no, I, I need the lead. Like when a man is breaking down a door for a woman, I want to be the woman on the other side. Yeah. And they're like, we will give you that. Just go ahead. Do a couple more. They never follow through. Of course not. She was all through the 40s and 50s. As she described, I was a bitch on wheels or a person's mom. <laughs> she was in the Three Musketeers. She was in Samson and Delilah. She was in If Winter Comes, where she's playing women 10 years older than her. She's in her 20s and getting fan mail from people who think she's in her 40s. And she had a good singing voice, but they kept dubbing over her and or made her sing like a caricature, mm. like a cockney, like mm -hmm. funny kind of accent. One bright spot, her friend actor is like, let me introduce you to Peter Shaw. And after plenty of dating and discussion and more <laughs> dating and discussion and making sure that it was right, the two got married. Aww. They soon had two kids, Anthony and Deirdre. 
But they needed money, something serious, because Peter was transitioning from being an actor to an agent, and Angela's only getting side roles. So the two can barely support their family. She has had two Oscar nominations and can't support her family by acting. Outrageous. She's finally like, I can do better as an independent actress than I can do with MGM. Um, But she leaves, and now she's fighting a decade of typecasting. Yeah. she was in movies like The Purple Mask, which is like a new all-time low. A movie called Please Murder Me, which was mostly filmed in a supermarket, apparently, because they had no money. Um, so she goes to the welfare office to apply for government assistance. Oh, my gosh. But also, at the same exact freaking time, she gets cast in The Manchurian Candidate. Which is like very famous movie. One of the most famous movies. And she's like the bad guy. She plays a doubt, kind of an older woman, evil, like ice heart Uh queen, pretty much. Um, Wins another Golden Globe. Gets another supporting actress nomination. And she goes, I thought this was it. The first two, she was like, no, no, I'm young. Still young here. She's like in her 20s. But she's like, I had. She's in her 20s right now? Still in her 20s. She's like, "I I had a dress made. I, like, was ready for the evening. She lost to um, the actress who is in The Miracle Worker, who plays um, Helen Keller's uh, teacher. Ann Sullivan. Yeah. She plays Ann Sullivan. So uh, she lost to that, and she just says, like, she wouldn't want to relive that night again. That was a bad night. Bad, bad night for her. Um, But then a letter arrived from Arthur Lawrence, who had written West Side Story, and he's like, are you interested in stage work? Because we kind of want you back in New York. And um, Stephen Sondheim is writing this musical called Anyone Can Whistle. Come to New York. She gets there. She'd had it with L.A. She dove into rehearsals. She pushed herself. Arthur and Stephen are great working partners with her, but this show's got a lot of bad omens. The bathroom catches fire. <gasps> Somebody gets a heart attack on stage. One no. of the dancers falls off the stage. <gasps> and then the worst of it all, people hate the show. And oh. it closes in like a few weeks. <sighs> it's not even out for long after all that. That's so sad. She goes back to L.A. defeated and doesn't sing for a year. <gasps> a year. <sighs> but then she heard about a New York show called Mame. About a larger-than-life woman taking the world by storm, never letting anybody get in her way. So she pays for her own flight to New York and gets the producers to listen to her. They hate her voice and say she's too old, and they send her back to L.A. She reaches out to her brother, starts taking intense voice lessons, and her brother um, casts her in a film that is exactly like the character name to prove that she can do it. She does great in it. Gets called back for a second audition. The musician loves her, and he slips her some of the sheet music. She goes and performs. Now they're kind of giving her a second chance, but there's a problem. Because the director wanted someone else for the lead. His wife, B. Arthur. I was going to say, I, I remember the story of Mame. Yeah. <laughs> contentious it gets so contentious (laughs) they're struggling between the two and they make angela audition a third time she called and said i need an answer i'm going back to la if you don't give me an answer today and they give her the part um and be arthur the best friend role now it was contentious at first Mm -hmm. but she fought for this job and it finally paid off 
and she did get a career and a friend out of it. In the long run, B and Angela are photographed together constantly. They became good friends. Here's the thing about B. Arthur. We did her story a while ago, and she's one of those people that we like to call a tough nut to crack. Yes. <laughs> yes. She has a very hard exterior. And we talked about, too, like, there are sometimes when she's like, I do deserve better than what I'm getting. Kind of like what Angela Lansbury is doing. Mm-hmm. She's like, I am not getting cast in what I want to be. Ca- and like, I'm talented. I can do this, yeah. you know, and I'm doing the work. Like I'm working really hard. Also two women who drove ambulances. Yes. Um, two women. <laughs> B. Arthur yeah. B. Arthur's a freaking Marine or some yeah. shit. Um, but I love that, that like, they ended up having this great relationship. They, they become really great friends. They're like lifelong friends. It's I wonderful. That. I love it too. So, I mean, Mame is a smash hit. There are people in the audience standing up and cheering <laughs> like a mid-show. It's ah. so, so good. But one thing Angela could never figure out was her work-life balance. Mm. Because back in L.A., her family is in terrible danger. What? Her kids are now teens. Her son was using cocaine and heroin. <gasps> no. Two of his friends had just died of overdoses. <gasps> and her daughter, who was also using drugs, had just befriended a group of hippies on a nearby ranch. Stop it. Angela could tell something was up with this group. In particular, their leader, a drifter named Charles <gasps> Manson. What? I did not think that he was going to be involved in this. Her daughter is like in the Manson family. Like that's hanging out on the ranch. Real. Deidre. Frantic. She flies back to LA and takes her kids to New York. Yeah. Get out of here. She put her son into drug treatment and got her daughter out of California right before the murder (gasps) spree started. Can you believe that? No, I cannot. Also, because, like, we're talking about, like, this, what, uh, late 60s, early 70s here, Um, which, when I think of New York City in the 70s, what a dangerous fucking place. Right. I love that (laughs) that was safer than L.A. at this point for these two kids. But, I mean, in New York, you're right, it is dangerous. Both of the kids couldn't kick their drug addictions because they're around New York drugs. Yeah. Same scene. Still actors. They're still rich kids, pretty much. You know, they've got it. Um. She's exhausted, so she steps away from Mame, went to California to work on her family full-time. During the day, she's filming Bedknobs and Broomsticks, where she's getting kids out of the Blitz Mm -hmm. in London. She's a witch. The kids on set loved her. They said she's an inspiration. She was a mother. Um, But one day then, a disaster strikes again. A bushfire in California. It's coming towards their home. The fire department has shut off their street. They won't let them up. So she goes up the back roads, goes into her house, gets the documents, gets the cat, and makes it out and back down the hill to meet up with her family. Oh, my gosh. She's like, I've driven an ambulance. I know what I'm fucking doing. I can handle it. (laughs) But then her son, Anthony, overdoses on heroin. No! Now he doesn't die. He ends up in a coma. He ends up in a coma. But she packs up her whole family and goes to her mother's homeland of Ireland. She says, we're leaving the States. She quit acting and took her husband and her children. He was so bad, he had to be taken off the plane on a stretcher. She bought a cottage in the middle of nowhere and said, this is it. We're living here. 
She brought in drug treatment. She brought in books and games and art for her kids. And she said, I will do anything to protect my family. Anthony and Deirdre kicked their drug habits. And after over a year of living this destitute life in Ireland, her kids convinced her to start looking at parts again. Can you believe that? No, I cannot. Especially because it's not like she has like Angelina Jolie money. No, she does not have infinite money. It's like she is a famous person, but not a superstar with all unlimited resources. So and also Broadway is, actors were unknown back then. Yeah. So she is putting in, and also like, frankly, especially at this time, if you go away, it is hard to get back in. It's not like today where you can be like, oh, I'm going to take a break for a little bit. Focus on my, I'm like, of course, an actor, an actor who's listening to this probably is like, I can't take a break now either. Yeah. But, like, yeah. but you know, especially back then, it's like, if you're out of the scene for a minute, people fucking forget who you are. Like that takes so it takes a lot of guts. A lot of guts. That. And I will also, say it also takes means. Like, yes, I don't want people to means. feel bad who lost their kids to drugs because oh, they God, couldn't no. do this. Yeah. Like, this is something that, like, she, she was a struggling actor, but she mm-hmm. wasn't destitute. She yeah. had the money to move to Ireland. Well, and we've both had some experience in this realm. And, like, one thing that is so frustrating about trying to help someone in this situation is they've just kind of already made up their mind. They're right. like, I'm either going to keep doing this and die or like that. Actually, no, that's the only option yeah. for me. Like yeah. that and that not for everyone. You know, mm-hmm. obviously there are some people who really want to get out of it. But, you know, for some people, you know, in my experience talking to people, you know, it's like, well, no, like I'm just going to do this until it's over. Right. Which is like, I'm not saying this is what it's they were easier going than through. quitting. Exactly. Because quitting. So, so, so hard. hard because addiction is hard. And especially at this time. It wasn't treated as a like yeah. an actual mm-hmm. disease. There mm-hmm. weren't good treatment programs. Mm-hmm. Like Angela's dealing with a lot here and taking right. it on all by herself. Oh god! Dear and her Lord. husband. Jesus he was Christ. Peter was with her. Peter was with her. Um. So after this whole you know year or so, she gets offered a role in Gypsy, but she was like, I can't do this role. It was another really strong woman, but it was previously played by Ethel Murin, and she was like, I don't think I can live up to that Mm -hmm. but she was doing it on the west end and they were like nobody in the west end knows who ethel murin is we don't care (laughs) just come and do it so this is actually her first time in the west end i can't believe this story is so backwards i know it's crazy i can't believe she does the opposite judy garland exactly i'm not judy garland i'm sorry julie Andrews. yes yes she did la new york west end (laughs) where the normal route is west end new New york LA. la bananas this is insane it is on opening night of gypsy her son anthony was there fully back to health and he pulled the cord to open the curtain for her to go on stage angela was incredible the end of the first show she got a 15 minute standing (laughs) ovation on opening night and it inspired her son to enter drama school oh she toured with gypsy for two years 
Then there's a decade of small work, one-off roles, except for fucking Sweeney Todd, which she was awesome ah! in the stage play of Sweeney Todd. She's like so crazy on stage. She wanted to do some comedy, so they wrote a song just for her. Yeah. She would like ball up the dough and throw it at the conductor while he was playing. And then Katie, one night the the um she wasn't getting a big enough response from the audience, so she like rolled the dough to make it look like a penis and like hung it down in front of her until it like stretched out and hit the floor. She was like so funny on stage. It was a blast for her. I love that. But she's doing little bit things here and little bit things here. And she's on TV's like death, at the, death on the Nile and like all those things. She's in a show called a talent for murder and the lady vanishes and the mirror cracked and like small <laughs> mysteries here and here and here and here and here. She even animates a voice on the last unicorn. Is that a cartoon <sighs> you've seen? You better see it if you haven't. That's her like first animation. Let me tell. Wait, who does she play? She's like that? the old woman oh, in the cape, the yes. cape cloak. <laughs> I do know exactly. Yeah. Ugh. We've mentioned that movie before. That movie gave me nightmares as a child. I would not recommend showing it to your children. No, not your children. It's uh, for watch you it to an watch. It's for you to watch while you're drinking wine on a Thursday night. With original score by the band America. Right. I need everybody to know that as well. That's a really important thing to say. <laughs> really important. For this for this show right now, you need to know that. Um, Who's it? Jeff Bridges is like the prince. <laughs> so crazy in it <laughs> jeff bridges is so crazy at everything i would love to have lunch with him he's Ugh. one of those actors who i really feel like would tell me some shit i want to know some things about jeff bridges yeah let's do a cocktail hour with jeff, yeah. jeff bridges we could really get it out of we'll him. see if we can get him on get him on the show <laughs> get him on the pod, get him on the pod. <laughs> let's start a campaign season 17 an interview with jeff bridges that's it that's our that's our end goal after that we quit the show <laughs> We'll finally stop this madness once we get Jeff Bridges. Why? Why couldn't it be like Michelle Obama? She might actually do it to make us stop. <laughs> we had to go Jeff Bridges. Had to. A show about women with one goal, to talk to a man. <laughs> well, Tara Reid's dead. No, she isn't. Tara no, Reed? she isn't. No, she's not. She's fully alive. What? I was thinking Brittany Murphy. It's fine. Ooh. Okay. So... Angela, at some point, was a pretty big smoker and then, like, smoked for a while and then kicked it and had, like, two plastic surgeries on her neck to kind of tighten stuff up, mm. even though they're still casting her as an 80-year-old woman. Mm. But she's not becoming super successful because she's not a star. Mm. And she's like, look, I'm successful on stage, but that's too expensive for normal people, and I want to perform for normal people, so put me on TV. <laughs> and there are two shows that offer her a show at the same time. One is a Norman Lear sitcom. going to be kissed by gold. It's going to be great, right? The other show is this weird little mystery show where a retired English teacher solves murders. <laughs> and she was just like, I really vibe with that murder show. The other show, the Norman Lear show, goes to be Arthur and is canceled after one episode <gasps> after, like, the pilot. Everyone had told her to take the sitcom. Oh, But no. She takes Murder, She Wrote and is playing Jessica Fletcher. It was a huge success. It outrates all the shows it was put up against. She was nominated for the lead actress, like, uh, um, Emmy, right, is TV? Uh-huh. All 12 years that it's on air. Did she ever win? No. What? Never had. She doesn't have an Emmy for Murder, Does She, she have, Wrote. 
I mean, I everything else. Golden Globes. She's Golden Globes. Gigi's. She's Oscars. She has Grammys. She's oh, got everything okay. but an Emmy, and oh, she was nominated twelve on. times. Guys, give her the egot. Let's go. In the show, she's a strong, working, interesting woman who loved her kids. She's a divorcee. She, um, or a widower. Her husband has either passed or divorced. They're divorced. She, um, she says of all the characters she played, Jessica Fletcher was the least character. Like, it was like a lot of her yeah. is in it. And they respected her on the show. They would throw in Easter eggs. Like, they would reprise songs that she did on Broadway and Aww. just have her, like, humming them while she's walking down the That's street. So they gave her cousin her mother's last name to, like, honor her mother as an actress. Oh, my gosh. Come um, on. The end sequence of the show is the tune to the song to Mame. And Come on. I know. They did such a great thing. And also, many times in the show... They tried to put Jessica Fletcher with a man, and Angela refused. She said it takes away from the show to give this strong, independent woman a love interest. Like, she would have a love interest here and there, but never a full-time partner. It was Jessica Fletcher. Um, and the show was just plain fun. She would go to drag bars, and she had this odd familiarity with party drugs. Like, she, she like, would know about them, like, when they were just brought up on the street. Like, ha! Angel dust. <laughs> At it again. <laughs> she knew what was going on. And because of this show, be- I mean, I remember watching it with my grandmother. Like, it, it, she became a huge star and an icon, and she decided to use it to help people. She had her son direct the show sometimes. She used it to help actors. Like this one actress got MS and she couldn't get enough roles to keep her SAG card. So she just kept having her guest star on Murder, She Wrote. Mm. And then she found out that nobody casts older actors. So she had every friend of hers that she's known since a million years come and be on the show. In the 12 years it was on, there were 2,000 guest stars so that they could keep their SAG cards and be known like Mickey Rooney's on it. You know, like, yeah, like all these people who were like out of the public eye mm-hmm. are coming on and doing this show with her. And then she asks the network if she can use the opening of the show to promote awareness for AIDS and HIV. Mm-hmm. So every show opened with a commercial of Angela talking about AIDS and HIV awareness. Oh, my gosh. And then at the 200th episode, they want to sh- Throw her this huge party. She said, give all the money to the AIDS Research Foundation. Don't throw me a party. Let's make a big deal and send the money over. And people started to call her the general in the war against AIDS. Oh, my gosh. I had no idea. Yeah. Then she was offered Miss Potts. (laughs) She was working closely with Howard Ashman, which, like, Howard Ashman gets me really choked up. He... He wrote the music for Little Mermaid and Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast. Um, He was a gay man. He did uh, contract AIDS. um, And he died, like, shortly after, like, those films. And it was, like, the Disney – like, I have chills. Disney Studios was broken when they lost him because those were, like, the movies of the 90s. I mean, they defined – our childhood. Yes. Like the songs that he wrote like Ugh. are amazing. So she's working with Howard. He sent her a note and was like, I like, I really think you should play this character. As we know in the movie, Miss Potts sings Tale as Old as Time. And it is the ballad of the movie. Yeah. Which is not normal for a Disney movie. 
Right, it's usually the main character. It's the want song. Right. Is the ballad of the right. movie. Right, and like the bonjour, bonjour, what Belle sings, there goes the baker with mm-hmm. Belle. It's like the fun, quirky song at the beginning. Yeah. And she gets the ballad in the scene that gets nominated for the Oscar because of the ceiling and the dancing. Like, it is the scene that made the made it be the first animated film to ever be nominated for an Oscar, and she is the only voice happening in that scene. And we all love her yeah. for it. Um, and she just goes, I don't know if I can do a ballad. He's sending her this, and he goes, sing it as if you were a teapot, <laughs> is what he tells her. And so, and so she records a demo and sends it back to him and she becomes a Disney (sighs) legend a Disney legend it says it's one of the great honors of her life to have played Miss Potts well here's the thing too it's like I love that he gave her that advice because all ballads have to do is like come from the heart and like what is more of a heart of the operation, especially in like a British home than like the family teapot? Right. You know what I'm saying? It's like teapots can be really, really fancy. They can be really, really simple. But I know for me, like there are certain like dishware pieces that are like, those are the ones I go to over and over and over again. And I'm sure that there are dish like teapots in like british families that it's like well that's what we bring out for fancy occasions but like this is the one that's at the heart of the family Mm -hmm. so like i kind of love that she is that and like that you don't have to have adina menzel singing a tale as old as time because angela brings the heart into it you know what i'm saying yeah it's like it's not a typical ballad voice but it just is right well it's also like i love i mean the song is called a tale as old as time And that's the way that your mother and your grandmother told Mm -hmm. you stories. Mm -hmm. She's telling you a story. And that's who you want to hear it from. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't need the big. Now, I love the big fancy voices. I love the Jodie Bensons, the Adina Menzels, like the Paige Mm -hmm. O'Hara, like Paige O'Hara as Belle, a beautiful voice, a perfect singer. But I don't want her singing a tale as old as time. No, no. She's falling in love. She's busy. Mm-hmm. She's busy doing something else. Well, again, it kind of feels like your grandmother singing you a lullaby. Exactly. It's perfect. Now, <laughs> of course, she always hated that casting, but she was so fucking good at it. <laughs> she was so good at it. But then Jessica Fletcher is getting old, mm. and the network moves it to Thursday, which makes it opposite friends. Oh. And it gets canceled. The ratings plummet. Everybody wants to know what's going on with Ross and Rachel. Well, here's the thing. This is a a beef I have with American TV. It's like, why not write a good ending for Jessica Fletcher when you know it's kind of coming to a close instead of letting it get canceled and be put against friends? Right. I don't know. And Angela, she's furious with CBS, rightfully so. And she tells them. And they're like, what can we do to make it up to you? So she gets herself a couple TV movies as as Jessica Fletcher. And then her friend got really sick. Uh, again, contracted AIDS. Um, and she goes, what I want you to do is let this man direct a movie and put it on TV. He directs um, Mrs. Santa Claus. It's like a very famous movie with like a feminist Santa Claus doing all her <laughs> shit. Angela Lansbury's in it. It's great. CBS plays it like every year. She almost kills herself doing a stunt. Like she does a stunt that a stunt person's supposed to do. And she like gets really, really injured. What? Not cool. Um, 
or like could have gotten really really injured um and th- this movie like again is replayed every year and this is before like the AIDS medicine that you could take to really get you better but this right. kind of drove her friend through the hard period of his life um and he starts responding to treatment oh my god and like ends up getting better now, I will say the one scar on her record is recently um, in the last few years on a British radio show, she made a comment uh, that she got torn to shreds for on Twitter. Uh-huh. She said um, that women need to take some blame for the harass, the sexiness way they dress in regards to the harassment of men. Nobody ever should have to change the way they dress just no. to be treated fine um i think she is a cog in the wheel of patriarchy just like the rest of us she was taught the same things we were all taught wear longer shorts wear a different shirt don't put your boobs out um and i also think that she didn't say it as eloquently but i think what she's saying is like we are working for the male gaze like at some point Mm -hmm. the fake boobs and the botox and the whatever even if you want it and it's for you it is inside of the whole male gaze thing and i just think she needed to buffer her statement off of someone right before she said this on yeah radio and i also you know it's difficult because i think that she came from a time period too of like defense 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 you know and it's like I think she's like, why wouldn't you dress a little bit different to not get harassed? And yeah. her, I feel like that's where in her mind, it's like, if you just change your behavior a little bit, it's not that inconvenient for you. This is the result. But right. it's like, but Angela, like, you don't, they shouldn't be doing it. It's like, again, right. like the, fo- like, that is the old focus right. of like, well, I'm just going to change what I'm doing and then it won't happen to me. It's like, but it's oh, like easy fix. Right. But yeah. the bigger problem is like, we need to change how men are acting so they're not harassing people. harassing anyone on the street because frankly they're going to do it whether we all start wearing long sleeve shirts and sweatpants you think women that were fully covered up in victorian eras yeah. never got raped <laughs> are you kidding exactly that's when jack the ripper was alive <laughs> like yeah. come on so that does suck but also it's like Everybody, so you say one thing. I, it, again, that's what's we have a big pro- we cancel have, we culture talk, problem. We talk about this a lot. We do. It's the problem with pedestals, like, you say, like, Angela Lansbury is perfect, and then it's, someone's going to be like, well, she said this one thing. Right. I'm like, okay, but also, where were you during the AIDS crisis? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I just, I also like, think, I wasn't born yet. I'm like, doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, I also think, like, too, um, she has a little bit of a bitterness at the MGM fiasco. Oh, like, yeah. All those really beautiful women did get harassed by MGM and she didn't. And she's like, well, I wasn't the hot one. I was just a good actor. Mm. So maybe if you, you know, are one of the many women who were taken advantage of by MGM, maybe if yeah. you had just acted like me. Well, and she might have some resentment too. Like, you know, like they had bigger boobs put them out there better more role. you know and they got better roles than me and like maybe there's also like a little jealousy in there yeah. of like it's kind of like well angela if you look like hedy lamar are you saying you wouldn't use it like right. <laughs> and also it's like that's the whole point like or one of the main um like weapons of the patriarchy to pit mm-hmm. women against women exactly and like that's i mean she is old school in that mindset i mean yeah. she was in her 90s when she said this like <laughs> 
I can't string a coherent sentence together now. Like, this woman is amazing. Oh and gosh. yes, this was kind of a weird sentence. But of course, you can say one weird sentence in your whole life. Yeah. I don't agree with her. No, I don't agree with her. Not. Definitely don't agree but with she, her. But her good outweighs her bad, everybody. Like, oh, my gosh. We don't need yeah. to cancel Angela no. Lansbury. So in 2003, her beloved husband uh, passed away, and Angela took time to deeply grieve because they had been together for 54 years. Oh, my gosh. Um, she wasn't just a star or an actress. She was one of us, but also somehow an icon. She loved gardening, reading, and cooking. She loved Seinfeld and Roseanne. <laughs> she worked to give money to battered women and to the AIDS crisis. She was educated as a child, not in school, but through movies. And she took acting and piano lessons. And her career, her family, everything she did was so big and bold she has not only almost all the awards except for emmys you fuckers <laughs> but she has lifetime achievement awards from yeah. all of them as well she has a tony lifetime achievement award a sag lifetime achievement award oscars lifetime kennedy center disney legend and was particularly loved and revered by gay men who um there was a gay uh choral uh, event where they gave her a lifetime achievement for mm. just being an ally when that wasn't even a thing yeah. yet. Um, so after almost a century-long career, she said the way she wanted to be remembered was someone who could take you out of your life for mm. just a few minutes while you watch her. And I can gladly say that I have watched plenty of Mrs. Potts, and she has always taken me oh, out yeah. of my sadness. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's Angela oh, Lansbury. What a wild story. I love her. The Blitz, Charles Manson, <laughs> drug addiction. What more could you want? What? Twitter shaming? This woman has done everything. Everything, Katie. Oh, my gosh. She checks everything on the, <laughs> the Richter scale 1900s bingo card. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Have wow. you met someone whose child was in a cult? <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Got it. You know anyone who had AIDS? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> exactly. Have you been canceled? Ah! <laughs> exactly. Right. Angela Lansbury. Oh my gosh, she's done it all. <laughs> Does Disney own your entire paycheck? <laughs> yeah. She did not get sexually harassed by MGM. There so you go. good honor. That's her what that's free space. <laughs> free space. All right, everybody. We are gonna go learn about a lesser known woman. Yeah! And but the store is pretty cool. Yay! Can't wait. <laughs> all right, we'll be right back. Back for part two. Here we are with a woman I've never heard of, which <laughs> is like my favorite. Thank you, Miss Krista. Thank you, Miss Krista. And thank you, Marjorie, I, for that last story. thank you, Marjorie. That was I was, we're starting off this season with a bang. Um, <laughs> I was really blown away by this story. Um, so again, thanks, Miss Krista. Um, so first things first, do you want to know what you're drinking? <laughs> uh, it's beautiful and orange. So this is called A Little Something. <laughs> so it is gin gin liqueur, orange juice, lime juice, and you top the whole thing off with ginger ale and garnish with lime. Oh, cheers. Perfect. Mm, I love gin liqueur. God, so good. Gin, so delicious. It really, I was 
It really cuts through everything. It hits nicely. Mm. Two lines, two ladies this week. Mm-hmm. We're really, we're really, the, the cocktails kind of complement mm. each other a little bit. They do. Love that. All right. I know you said you don't know much, but what do you nothing. think you know? So nothing. Okay, I know perfect. absolutely nothing. nothing. I only know what you mentioned earlier, so I'm not, I'm not even going to say it because it doesn't matter. Okay, perfect. So I got all of my research this week from Wikipedia and the New Angle Voice podcast. So New Angle Voice podcast is uh, highlighting especially like female architects and stuff like that. And I heard this story on 99% Invisible, which is an architecture podcast that I love because they do really weird stories. Like they'll do things on like the history of the pinball machine and the history of like um, the McMansions and like everything you basically like didn't know was quite connected to architecture. They do it. Fantastic podcast. Couldn't recommend it enough. I love New Angle. Fun. Oh, and New Angle is fun such a little good name quippy. For fun little quip. Um, so yeah, so 99% Invisible replayed the New Angle Voice podcast. So they didn't do anything. They were just like, this is a great episode on a fantastic female architect. Wow. <laughs> Delightful. Um, and of course, Wikipedia. <laughs> Our go-to. So, for a very long time, if you were to take a tour of the famous Famous. The most famous is? <laughs> the most famous. Hearst Castle in California. Have you heard of it? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. You would see the Neptune Pool, the Roman Pool, the personal theater where they would play their early talkies. I mean, like, this is a pretty old house. You would see the banquet hall with its big medieval theme. And, like, they have the flags hanging down, the huge high ceilings, gorgeous woodwork. and. You might ask a question that for some reason didn't have an answer. A building such as this, a shockingly seamless blend of Mediterranean, medieval, Spanish Spanish architecture. Someone called it pan-European architecture. They should have the name of the architect plastered all over this house. A name as famous as maybe a Frank Lloyd Wright. But unfortunately... For a very long time, if you were to ask who the architect was of the Hearst Castle, the tour guide would simply say, some woman, we don't really know who she is, and we don't know anything about her. That's the most <laughs> insulting bullshit I've ever heard. Can you believe that? My brain is yelling. My brain is yelling angry curse words. I mean, my parents have been on a tour of the Hearst Castle, and they still talk about it to this day. It's this house, this estate is unreal. And for years, they just simply said, some woman, I don't know. And this house, I mean, it started construction in 1919. It's not that far away. It's not like the Middle Ages. No, we all know who we, she is. We all, you know who the fuck she is, so don't you pretend like you don't. So anyways, dear listeners, <laughs> you are about to hear the story of William Randolph Hearst's personal favorite architect, the brilliant mind behind Hearst Castle, Julia Morgan. Didn't we just talk about William Randolph first? Yes, we did. This Last is, episode. This is the most kismet uh, season budding we've ever had where we just talked about Patty Hearst last, at the end of last season. Unbelievable. And now we're talking about the person who designed her grandfather's palatial estate. Okay. Well, <laughs> we don't plan this. We really didn't. No planning. We really didn't. 
Okay. Julia Morgan was born on January 20th, 1872 in San Francisco, California to Charles Bill Morgan and Eliza Woodland Parmalee. Great name. She was the second of five children and the family was well off because of the old liable family money. (laughs) Julia's father was unfortunately rather unsuccessful in his business ventures. Sorry for that little hiccup there. So it was the Parmalee fortune that kept them very comfortable. Eliza's father was a cotton trader and a millionaire. Um, And when Eliza was two years old, the family moved to Oakland, California. But the family went back to New York frequently to visit family. So Julia felt a connection to both coasts. She even lived in New York for a year when she was six years old. Her mother took all the kids away to New York to give her a husband time to get himself together hi we all need a little bit of that i mean every now and again a bit he just he really wanted to be like his father-in-law and like be a business tycoon person and he just couldn't hack it like you know there are some guys that like i i think he was trying really hard it just like wasn't really working out and i think also maybe like when you have that big cushion it makes it kind of, I don't know. So anyways. Makes you less of a pusher. Yeah. This time in New York, however, was very special um, because Julia got to meet a man named Pierre Lebrun, who was married to her cousin, Lucy Thornton. So Pierre was a successful architect, and this profession just floored Julia. She was really interested, and Pierre could see that she was really bright. So the two started up a correspondence, and he encouraged her over the years i mean she was six years old when she moved there and he was like i'm gonna mentor this little girl because i see so much potential in her come on and where are my mentors please where are they dad he literally wrote to her for years encouraging her and being like you're so smart like you should pursue a college degree and like try and get into field of architecture i think you could really do it Should I just start sending random letters to children around the country? (laughs) Yes. So she had this great male sponsor, and her mother and grandmother are apparently both pretty badass. They were really strong female role models that Julia was watching growing up because they were like, yes, like, we have our husbands over here. But, like, also, like, especially Julia's mom, she was like, I make all the decisions in this household especially because the money's coming from my family. And her grandmother was like, what I do is like the head of this vast family fortune is take care of what I need to fucking take care of. I need to take care of business. And Julia saw both of them as like very strong, you know, which is on the outside, it looks like they're both just rich housewives. But again, like we talked about with Emily Gilmore, there's so much going on behind the scenes, so much that they are taking care of. They run the world. These and rich Julia. Housewives. They fucking knew it. She fucking knew it. So she graduated from Oakland High School in 1890, and she was very dedicated to her education and trying to get a professional career in architecture. So she enrolled in the University of California um, in Berkeley, where she studied engineering, which is also funny because that's where Patty Hearst was kidnapped. Um, <laughs> Somebody's got to be at Berkeley. On. Everybody at Berkeley. They sell all the high school sweatshirts at H&M now. Go yeah. get your Berkeley sweatshirt. <laughs> you can wear it. You can talk about Patty and Julia. Yeah. So she studied engineering because there was no architecture program. So that's what she got her degree in. 
at the university. She was a member of Kappa Alpha Theta sorority and was often the only woman in her math, science, and engineering courses. <laughs> but Berkeley was a really cool um, place to be at the time because they're in this great growth process. Women were founding clubs and gaining access to new spaces and extracurriculars. So she wasn't hitting, like, roadblocks here. She It was, like, hard to get in, but they could get in. Yes. So okay. she is kind of, like, right at the cusp of, like, okay, like, it's still not easy. And, like, she'll have a lot of hurdles when it comes to specifically architecture stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, she is... I didn't know women aren't allowed to build buildings, Katie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but she's coming off of, especially when we get to her years in Paris, she is coming off of other women really pushing for women to get into these fields and doing the work. So, like, she is, and she acknowledges that, like, she is riding the coattails of, of some other women who, like, did make it a little bit easier for her to get in here. Um, so she is at Berkeley, and she even helps create a chapter of the YWCA, the Young Women's Christian Association, during her time as an undergraduate student. It's a lot harder to sing. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> um, and this she really pushed for because girls at Berkeley didn't have access to the gymnasium. And she goes, excuse me, I would also like some physical education. <laughs> I want to go to the gym. Wow. <laughs> this girl's trying to She's, look fit. Yes, she, she is. wants to be fit. <laughs> She graduated in 1894 as the first woman with a BS degree in civil engineering at home uh, at Berkeley with honors. And after her graduation, she became a member of the Association of Collegiate Alumni, now known as the American Association of University Women. Which is funny because I feel like they should be opposite. I feel like <laughs> university yeah. women sounds older anyways yeah but maybe it was like cool to be like a woman who went to university at that time period mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's like a badge of honor like i made it when oh, we it weren't definitely was when we weren't supposed to do it exactly i did it so one of the engineering lectures of her senior year was bernard maybek and he was an eccentrically dressed architect. Is he hot? No, he's oh, an old man. Just eccentric. He just wore like fun socks and he designed <laughs> buildings. <laughs> you know when men do that one thing? When men do that one thing to set them apart. Uh, a tie and socks. Um, so he, <laughs> but he designed buildings that Julia really admired because apparently they respected the surrounding topography and the environment. She was like, this guy gets it, you know? He's not just putting a skyscraper in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Like, he's like, why don't we work with the landscape? Why don't we create something seamless and gorgeous? Vietnam Memorial Girl did exactly. that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Damn, I wish I could remember her name <laughs> at this one moment. We do this all the time. I know. You keep doing it. I'll okay. keep saying it. I'll look okay. it up. So he soon became another mentor and sponsor for Julia and encouraged her to attend his alma mater, the prestigious. Ecole Nationale. Myelin. Myelin. Damn it. it. Here we go. Okay. So he encouraged her to attend the prestigious Ecole Nationale Supérieure des Beaux-Arts in Paris. Oh, so, so like, she's going to Julia Child it. She's, gonna she's go to going Paris. over there. She's going to Paris. She's really doing it. So after graduating in 1894, she did take a year off to gain work experience building with Maybach. So she was like, I'm going to work with you for a year, and then I'm going to go try and go to Paris. And then in 1896, she was preparing for the entrance exam. Because the school had never allowed a woman to study architecture. The one in Paris. Mm -hmm. I thought 
Paris is usually pretty chill about shit. I know. They're like anti-slavery. They let Bets- Bessie Coleman like fly a plane. They but they don't want women to be architects. Well, this is the 1890s, baby. It was before a lot of that, you know. Yeah. And they're still like, uh, do women know what there. a triangle is? No, they do not. That's why they shouldn't be allowed to go to art school. But they but I wear a triangle dress on all the bathrooms. Yeah. <laughs> I know what a triangle. Is. So. The school had never allowed a woman to study architecture, but in 1897, it finally, op- they could like, in, so in 1896, they could come and like take courses, but they couldn't get any kind of degree or anything. Sure. They're, they're uh, what's that called? <sighs> auditing. 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 They could audit course. courses. And then in 1897, it finally opened its entry process to women applicants, largely because of pressure from a union of French women artists who had fought for seven years to fight for women to have the right to go to the school so hats off to you ladies thank you for your service i cannot but this was just opening up the window for them to even apply so then they had to get in and the school only admitted the top 30 candidates and hundreds of people applied 30 people So competition was steep, especially for a woman, so it took her three tries to get in. On her first attempt, her scores were, in fact, too low. She was like, I understand that. Scores were too low, didn't score high enough. But the second time, the examiners, this is a quote, arbitrarily lowered her marks, even though she had easily made it into the top 30. So I don't know what that means. I don't know why the fuck they did that. But Julia doesn't give up easily, so after more than a year of further study, Tutored by Francois Benjamin Chosamiche, who was a winner of the Prix de Rome, a fancy French art scholarship thing. So she's like, I am going to surround myself with the men who have done this, the men who have gained respect in this field, and I'm going to get this done. She finally passes the entrance exam in the architecture program. She placed 13th out of the 376 applicants. Shit. And was duly admitted. I love that. Mm-hmm. 13th. Does she have a black cat? Who Does she have a witch hat? Where is she? She's what is she doing? <sighs> but now that she is admitted, there is another hurdle. No, what? This is a really bizarre hurdle. Because it took her so long to get in, she now has to rush her degree because she will be turning... 30 soon but you have to finish before you're 30 Mm -hmm. because the school didn't allow older students (laughs) wow who's turning 30 in a little over a month i took this very personally i'm feeling like ancient i think i'm feeling ancient like i i'm i'm my deathbed is laid out before me they're like you got to finish before then like get the fuck out of here you old lady (laughs) but again julia doesn't give up and she presented her final architecture project her dissertation if you will after just three years of study and it awarded her a certificate in architecture making her the first woman to receive one from the school she's the first woman isn't that crazy to do that in in that crazy paris school Mm -hmm. good for her and just to point out what an incredible feat it is to do this in three years the average time of completion was five Oh, that's like engineering she degrees today. Two years off of her degree. Yeah. Even her mentor, Bernard Maybeck, took five years. So, like, this is incredible. You know why? All that period energy. Exactly. It helps. Well, it's, it's like a power up. And also, again, 
I women are often not granted the luxury of time. <laughs> and I think that is a very important lesson to take away from this story. Wait, you mean I don't have extra time when I'm yeah. taking care of my kids? <laughs> And or I'm cleaning, cleaning house, my house and or you know when i'm taking them to sports practice potty training the puppy <laughs> all the things that's my life right now that i do that my family that's the same <laughs> as cleaning up after the kids i've never had a puppy before in my life it's really hard i hate it but no you, i but love you will her. end up loving it i, I, mean, I love her and yeah. like but i'm going through so many paper towels well it's the same way i hated being a mom when they were little babies house. they're the worst it's outrageous because they need you so damn bad and yes. you're like i want to be my own person again exactly yeah. i want to leave the house so the first big project she worked on while she was still in paris was a collaboration with another architect for a grand salon or as we like to call them saloons saloons in the Fontainebleau here blue era <laughs> area whatever um, this was for like some kind of expat New Yorker who was like very, very cool and was like, I'm going to have a really cool Parisian space. Was so it Joanne? It was. I knew it. But it was time. <laughs> I was trying to make Joanne's name sound French. <laughs> Isn't it French? Joanne. Savoy. I think it is. Wixday. Oh. <laughs> Sorry to put you on blast with your full fucking name. <laughs> Do you also want to know her birthday and her <laughs> mother's maiden name? I'll Anybody give, want the social security number? I'll give you the last four digits. <laughs> That's it. Just I, steal that identity. I draw the line at the last four digits of Joanne's social security number. So anyways, it was soon time to return to California. She quickly gained employment with a San Francisco architect named John Galen Howard. Maybe whoa. Galen Howard. Whoa, Who knows? whoa, whoa, whoa. John Glenn? No, Galen. It's okay. G-A-L-E-N. I was like, that's an astronaut. <laughs> John Glenn, the astronaut, was an architect in San Francisco. I had no idea. In the 1800s. So he came back to life again. Yes, he in did. The, in the 1960s. He's a renaissance man. I see. Um, so well, that John... would make him from the 1400s. <laughs> John Galen Glenn Howard. She got a job with him because he was supervising the University of California Master Plan. So she had gone to the University of California, Berkeley. Now she's part of the master And now plan. they're like, we need more buildings. We're going to be prestigious. We're going to do all these things. So, like, we need a fucking campus. They like, need, like, brick walkways. Yeah. So, like, we want to be Ivy Leagued. They're not on the Ivy League list, I don't think. No, because, but of course, it's the... What? Because you're not on the East Coast. I'm sorry. It's a, it's a, sorry, where are your ivory towers? You can only be so brick. You can have great white sharks. So we can have Ivy League Ivy schools. League schools. <laughs> We can have the seven sisters. <laughs> so California master plan. This is a big project where they're adding some crucial buildings to the Berkeley campus, which are still there today. She worked on several of the buildings and even made an early proposal for the entry gate. But the two <gasps> buildings she had the most to do with was the Hearst mining building, which houses the engineering school and the Hearst Greek theater. So this is interesting. Already something to do with the Hearst. And she's not even working for them yet. She was clearly talented and very hardworking, but her boss, Howard, so this is not John, wait, yes, Howard, sorry. I, I, I hate when, like, I copy and paste something from Wikipedia and they only refer to people at, at, from their last their name. Their last name. I know it's correct, but I Let's don't want to deal no, with it. No, it isn't correct. Actually, we're changing history right now and saying we should refer to things in the present tense and people by their first name. Because you know what? Especially if someone is married and, like, they take their husband's last name. Maybe it's Mrs. Howard who did this. I, I don't know. 
I <laughs> refer to all women by their first names because we're individuals. Yeah. So her boss, blank, told a colleague. <laughs> Let's take him out of history. I'm just taking him you out. Know because what we like to do? We like to take people out of history. Because also I hate this quote. Dick. He said, Julia is, quote, an excellent draftswoman whom I have to pay almost nothing as it, it is a woman. It. It. She is an it now. My middle school child was more respectful she than this guy. She is an it. I, okay. Rude. <laughs> almost nothing. She's making no money. She's doing great work. And she's an it. Living the dream. She should That's put the, that on Bumble. She could really find someone. That's California dreaming right there. <laughs> in 1904, she was the first woman to obtain an architecture license in California. So she opened up her own architecture firm. She said, I will not be an it anymore. I will be JM. And that's what she went by. That's what her employees called her. Perfect. She was the first woman in America to have her own architecture firm. Very cool. I mean, you had to go by initials. Oh, come on. J.K. Rowling, <laughs> K. Switzer. Like, just pick people. All the girls. We'll we go it. by initials. It's mm-hmm. fine. J.M. That's like J.P. Morgan. Yeah. Got to get him where you fit in. And in that same year, Julia completed her first big project on, like, her own terms. And it was a reinforced concrete structure a 72-foot bell tower at Mills College in the El Camp... Or no, sorry. It was called Mills College El Campanile. I don't understand the college. The California, California naming is bananas to me. Well, they just saw the University of California, colon. Berkeley. Yeah. Weird. I don't know. Weird. I don't know what's going on. So anyways, Mills College El Campanile, which is across the bay from San Francisco, mm-hmm. she builds their bell tower. Builds the bell tower. This is her first big project. How's it going? Does it fall down in the earthquakes? Is it still up? Is it beautiful? So funny that you mentioned earthquakes. Oh. Two years after the building was complete. Huge. Huge fucking earthquake hits San Francisco. It's fine. The entire city is literally destroyed except for the bell tower. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Can my boys at the prison, can they hear the bells? They can. Sure. No matter what. Perfect. I love that. I love that they know what time it is. Yeah. And this is what sets her apart. Because she had to do so much extra to get her architecture mm-hmm, license, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she learned about reinforced concrete. And this made her an expert in it. So now she is not just an architect, but an engineer, someone who could build beautiful buildings that were safe from earthquakes and functional. And because there were so many buildings destroyed in this earthquake, a lot of people in the San Francisco area suddenly needed architects, especially ones who were experts in earthquake-resistant architecture. So she literally was like, here I am! Now, there's another male East Coast architect who was called in because he was also an expert in reinforced concrete. Ted Mosby. But he was killed in a duel, so he couldn't make it. Aaron Burr, where are your whereabouts? <gasps> He's alive! Did Aaron Burr do it? Yeah, Are we course. sure? So, this guy dies in a duel. What a fucking psychopath. In the 1900s. In the <laughs> 1906. What? 
What is he the, doing? The male ego is Un, so unmatched. big. Unmatched. It's so big. So, I, I swear to God, my male, my male middle school students would die in duels daily if I didn't oh, intervene. Come on. It's insane. And then you have Julia who is like, I'm right here. I built the bell tower. She's Just, ringing the bell. She's ringing the bell. She's like, Quasi, no, no, come ring the bell. I'm here. I went to Paris. Quasi's here. Like, We're having a team bell ringing. We will hire you. Because they're like, mm, yeah, look at the bell tower. We can't really deny that she knows what she's doing. So her first. You can't <laughs> deny it. I'm a fucking ride. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. So her first big post earthquake job was the redesign of the landmark Fairmont Hotel in San Francisco. That so sounds this- famous. It's a very famous hotel, okay. and it was, like, just freshly built before the earthquake. Oh, shoot. And there was an earthquake. And, of course, like, earthquakes cause more than just crumbling. They cause fires and flooding. And this one was severely damaged by specifically fire after the earthquake. She completed the project in less than a year, which boosted her reputation even more because she became known as, quote, a superb engineer, an innovative designer and architect, and a dedicated professional. This provided her with the opportunity to design numerous homes, churches, offices, educational facilities. She was all over. She basically single-handedly rebuilt San Francisco from this horrible 1906 earthquake. And we've never heard of her. (laughs) Can we build it? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Julia the Builder instead of Julia Bob the, the builder. builder. What are we doing? We need a J word that's an alliteration for building. Jill the Builder. Oh, it rhymes at least. Yeah. Okay. Take that. <laughs> so all of this eventually caught the attention of Phoebe Hurst, mother of William Randolph Hurst. And Phoebe started recommending Julia as the architect for Hurst-funded buildings. Which is ironic because she had already done her buildings at Berkeley years before. Um, but she's like, you know what? I'm. I had this like estate out in Pleasanton near San Francisco. She goes, transform it for me. And she designs this like gorgeous palatial estate into, you know, she, this is like her first like hacienda for the. Uh, for the Hearst family. I have like questions Phoebe's about how household. much money you need to have to have an architect design and build your house. Not like a cookie cutter mansion that they're like, pick your siding. Yeah. But like to literally build you a White House style mansion. Like what is that? What kind of money is that? We'll get into numbers in a bit. Okay. Who has that? Who has it? The Hearst? The Hearst. They definitely have the it. The Hearst? They're the Trumps it. have it? Yeah. They're good for the money. They no, the it? Trumps don't have it. They don't have any fucking money. They're idiots. Hmm. Anyways, I mean, I agree. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say they don't have any money because they definitely I was about do. to say, they have money. They are idiots. But it's they just also, also like not what they're saying. That they, it's, I just, never mind. We're not going to get into it. I want to know so, who has this kind of money. Who present day? <laughs> oh, Angelina Present Jolie. day, Rupert Murdoch. Has this kind of money. Yes. Sure. Rupert Murdoch has this kind of money. Apparently, Jeffrey Epstein did. Who the fuck knows where he got it from? Oh, <gasps> uh, There are secret. This is the thing. The people that have. Mm. No, the people that have this kind of money, you do know. Gates, Gates has that, the money. Gates has the money. There are people that have even more money. Secretly. That's, that we don't know of. Hmm. Creepy. How the tables have turned. How the turns No, they've always been this way. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> the tables have always been this exact way. Sure. Secret money. Um. Anyways. She then hires Julia to transform 30 acres on the Monterey Peninsula into the 
YWCA Conference Center, renamed Asilomar, or Refuge by the Sea. Because the Hearsts are obviously very philanthropic, especially Phoebe Hearst. And she's like, I want to build more like young women's Christian associations in California. And she, through this time period, builds a lot of like buildings that are now historic landmarks in California on behalf of the Hearst family. They're like, we want to create this. We want to create that. And she's like, things that are historic landmarks in California were built in like 1930. Exactly. So (laughs) we are in the 1910s right now. So that's very old for California. Wow. Um. And Phoebe did not want to keep Julia all to herself, so she introduced William Randolph Hearst to her. He loved her work, so Julia ended up designing the California building that housed the Examiner newspaper. Stop! I know. And then even after Phoebe died, William kept using her because she was so talented, she was so good at her job, and the two of them were thick as thieves. And she has great glasses. She does have great glasses. Uh, so when it came time for Hearst to design his personal home, of course he chose Julia. He first described the house he envisioned as a modest bungalow that should take maybe six months to complete. An employee- modest bungalow. You think a Hearst is living in a bungalow? An employee of Julia's recounted that he referred to the house as a little something, which is what I named the cocktail after. Stop. Because this would, of course, transform into the Hearst Castle. This house would be built on his ranch in San Simeon. So in 1865, his father, George Hearst, had originally purchased 40,000 acres of this land to use for family camping trips. So William Randolph... Is it Camp David? It's basically the Camp David of the... West of Coast. The West. Um, so William Randolph grows up going on camping trips in the sand. He fucking loves it. He goes, this is like where I feel most at home. And then he would eventually, you know, how those tycoons are, more and more and more and more, more. He ends up owning 250,000 acres that sits on the coast of California. 250,000 acres? Mm-hmm. Pooh Bear couldn't even... He's like, a hundred is where I max out. So, and I mean, he was deep in those woods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and by 1919, he was ready to build his family home there. And women could vote, practically. Practically. The so, white, the, white, the ones, white women. The white ones. <laughs> so, Julia goes out to meet him. It's kind of an isolated area, not much going on out there. And she sees the road end, and she sees a dusty trail and a mountain with two horses. She's 47 years old at this point. Girl. She's about to ride a horse through a desert up a mountain to her new building site. And she doesn't even know how to ride a horse, let alone, again, five miles. Five miles up a dusty mountain. That's what I want about this house. horses is terrifying on flat ground if you've never done it before it's scary so she's like i can't go up there and he goes hmm and he's looking around he sees two cowboys he goes hey come over here we're gonna take this taxi up the five miles it should make it up most of the parts but it might get a little dusty can you pull the taxi with your horses through the tricky parts. 
and they do. She is riding in a taxi pulled by cowboys up this <laughs> desert mountain. And that was just the intro to the porno. Uh-huh. So that was all so that she could just get up to the site. But because this land was obviously a blank canvas, um, for this project, for Hearst Castle, I want to make it clear she was the architect, she was the contractor, she was the landscaper, and the interior designer. This whole complex is her. I want to make that very fucking clear. She did everything with that place i'm very interested in this because like every architecture slash engineering firm that you work with now like that's what producer does they're separate jobs there's the engineers there's the architects they call people in there's the construction people there's the builders there's the contract writers like she was doing it all herself she's a one-stop shop i'm sorry one size fits all one size fits all buildings in california so this is obviously a huge project and she was also She's running a business, so she has to do other projects. And she lived in San Francisco. So she would take the train eight hours from San Francisco down to San Luis Obispo. How long would she stay? Just the weekend. That's, okay, live there for a So bit. she'd come down on Friday, go back Sunday. They said on Sunday she would overnight train, walk into the office in the morning after being on the train all night. So she's working in the office, but working there on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Why not just like pitch a tent? And like, well, this is the other thing is like she does eventually make a deal with this club that we're going to talk about in a little bit um, where she's like, I'll design your building for free. Just like give me room and board while I'm in this town. <laughs> but yeah, but she is coming down on the weekends um, and because she has her hands again in everything. So like. They're doing all the work that she told them to do last weekend during the week. And then she's coming back to like supervise construction and tell them what they need to do this week. Do you know what would have made this like so much easier? Mm -hmm. The intranet. Yes, it would have. Because I'm not even done. (laughs) We only got to the eight hours down to San Luis Obispo. Oh, I see. She goes down eight hours, then takes a taxi another two and a half hours to get to San Simeon. She has to talk to this guy the whole time? Uh Uh-huh. And she becomes a fixture on the train. She was famous for working the entire trip. She'd bring her sketch pads. She'd bring her notebooks. And she would just be working the entire time. She is the original busy businesswoman working during her commute. Get her a cocktail. An icon. Get her a cocktail. Get her in Manhattan. I love this woman. Busy businesswoman. Busy businesswoman. I, I love, love that. Her. I mean, what else are you going to do? Sudoku? Come on. They don't even do that yet. Sudokus. That's not even a thing. I mean. Let her, let her draw her pictures. I just. How condescending. I <laughs> let her draw, draw her little pictures. <laughs> let her just do her little pictures. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's like mathematic architecture. I know. <laughs> I'm a dick. And I she just, know a triangle? I, she has no idea what a triangle is, but she is building a lot of buildings. Oh, so we'll, we'll see if they stand know, the test of time. Because I feel like that's the strongest shape, yeah? Yeah, I've uh, heard that. Is it? That's what I've heard. That's why, like, squares, you put a crossbeam in the middle. Because triangles are oh. super strong. Super yes. strong. Yes. I don't know I, where I heard yeah, that. that's a good... I might be making it up, but I... I totally believe that, I feel like though. triangles are the strongest shape. Yes, because even another X, another bar in the middle of a square for triangles even stronger Mm -hmm. and you can do it in the middle of like uh hexagons or like whatever it doesn't matter you can make triangles in the middle of anything and it strongly strengthens strongs them up wow that's why we all wear dresses 
us girls because they're triangles. <laughs> so, anyways, us and Peppa um, Pig. What? <laughs> <laughs> so she's a busy businesswoman, and she just doesn't stop. Like her employees were like, we would literally take the midnight train out of San Luis Obispo. We would walk, get off the train, go to the office at 8 a.m., and she would start working. I took the midnight train. I'm sorry. San Luis Obispo. (laughs) I hate the name of that town. Yeah. Um, I, saying it over and over again, I still can't hear what you're saying. I know. Trust me. (laughs) I listened to an entire murder podcast set in this town, and I could not understand. San Luis Obispo. San Luis. San Luis Obispo. San Luis Obispo. Sorry, California. I'm too Sorry, white for hashtag you. I'm history. too white for you. Um, <laughs> I can't figure out your words. <sighs> so, busy businesswoman. Sure. Um, and over the next many years, she and Hearst worked very closely together on the castle. So I also want to make it clear, it's not like he's nowhere to be found and she's doing all this work. They were, again, thick as thieves partners in crime on this whole fucking thing. He's cursing it up. Mm -hmm. They were both really hard workers with romantic artistic spirits and they really respected each other. It's a Weinberg situation. What? No. (laughs) What? Like all the No. No, not that Weinberg. The ones in Maryland that built all the buildings. (laughs) (laughs) Harvey Weinberg. I was like No. This is a very genuine, no. like, respectful relationship. No, not he, what he yeah. was doing. No, there's a couple in uh, Baltimore. Yes, Jeanette that, Weinberg. Jeanette yes. and what's her husband's name? Who knows? Who cares? Yeah. They, um, they pay for all the buildings in Maryland. Yes. Actually, they built a literal hacienda at the place where Zach and Levy got married. Yeah. And it was gorgeous. Gorgeous Their names hacienda. are on everything. So that was not a bad Weinberg. No. Good Weinberg. Weinstein? Weinstein, I'm sorry. His name is also Weinstein. This is Weinberg. Because it's is it Jeanette and Harvey Weinberg? No, it's got to be Weinstein. <laughs> Weinstein is the bad. Harvey and you Weinstein, have Harvey now. Harvey Weinstein is the bad one. Jesus Christ. Okay. okay. So Hearst and Julia, they're working together. Thick as thieves, love each other. There was a spark Alibaba. Between, one might yeah. say there was a spark between them that was evident across the seventy foot. 70 foot long dining room in the castle someone said they were long distance streamers if i don't sit at the foot of that table and somebody doesn't sit at the head and then we learn to profess our love to each other over a series of months in the cold even are why do i even want to exist (laughs) one of julia's employees said that one of the things that made their relationship special was that julia never tried to take advantage of him so a lot of contractors might see this guy with endless money and make things take longer, maybe increase the cost of a project, you know, like as it goes on and be like, oh, I thought the Bunsen burners cost this much, but they actually cost this much, you know, and a lot of people would try and take advantage of that, the cost of the project, but she just never did that. All the additions and delays or whatever that made the project more expensive were expensive were all on him. It was a very joint effort. She was never taking advantage of him. They were working together. But obviously there was a cost to build this. <laughs> it cost $10 million to build. And then money. What's now money? Like $840 million. <laughs> That's closer to a billion than a million. I know. 
I don't like that. We're on the better side of a billion at this point. (laughs) I don't know if that's plugged in, Katie. It's not. (laughs) It's been a decade since we've had to use it. (laughs) The castle was under construction from 1919 to 1947. (laughs) But to be clear, not all of that was on the main house, a.k.a. Casa Grande. That's how long I've been under construction, (laughs) honestly. Casa Grande, which is the big house. The big house. Sure. Do you want to guess how many square feet it is? How how much was the little house? The littlest house on the property? Yeah. Or how much is the... Okay. All right, the littlest house on this property is 2,550 square feet. So like a normal person's home. Yes, that's a normal person's... Like, that's like an, I would say, average, you know. A, well, average townhouse is 1,800 What's your square house? feet. My house is about like 2,300. Okay. I just don't know what normal house is. Yeah, no, because I, again, if I didn't work in this field, I would not know what a normal amount was. So, like, because mine is Yours big. is really big. Very so big. So, yours is, like, what, like, 8,000. Is it 8,000? Yeah. Okay. So, yours is 8,000. Mine's about 2,300. So, if the smallest house, Casa del Monte, is 2,500 square feet, how big do you think Casa Grande is? 20,000 square feet. 68,500 square feet. They better have a staff. They better have a staff. 68,000. Who's, who's cleaning that bitch? For because I, can, I can't keep this clean. I'm like a, I'm a slave to my home. That's crazy. I shouldn't say that. I'm a servant to my home. I'm paid to be here. It has 38 bedrooms, 30 fireplaces, 42 bathrooms, 14 sitting rooms. Then there's Casa Del Mar. 5,350 square feet. Casa del Sol, 3,620 square feet. And again, Casa del Monte, 2,500 square feet. Well, if you're going to build so a house. So those are all like the little guest houses. If you're going like to build a house, additions. Build, build it. And of course, that's not including the landscaping, the Neptune pool, the indoor pool, the tennis courts. Like this is palatial and a gorgeous view of the Pacific Ocean. How do you use it? I want to understand where do you, you must, if you have a house that big, you exist in 5,000 square feet of it. Maybe. Only Solid number. I think that's that's right. a, that's that's really gracious too. You probably only exist in like right. a thousand square feet of it. Because like I have Being this realistic. house, but like we have an, another person renting the whole third floor. Exactly. Right, and like mm-hmm. the basement doesn't count in the square footage. That's just storage. Right. That's weird. That's a lot of square it's feet. A that, lot that of you're room. just looking at. What a waste of space. I know. Crazy. <laughs> I bet, but I'm sure she made it lovely. Yeah. Well, she made it lovely and. Uh, the house, of course, was built in the Roaring Twenties, so this was a hot spot for the Hollywood elite. Twenties um, into the thirties, Hearst left his wife for actress Marion Davies, and they partied with all the big names at Hearst Castle: Charlie Chaplin, Cary Grant, the Marx Brothers, Greta Garbo, Buster Keaton, Mary Pickford, Jean Harlow, Clark Gable, all partied there at various points in time. Obviously. Um, there are some pictures of Charlie Chaplin literally like m- miming with the stone lions out front. Like it's ridiculous. Uh, and there's also some political names like Calvin Coolidge, Winston Churchill. You didn't turn down an invitation to Hearst Castle. It was the place to see and the place to be seen. Well, I haven't because I haven't gotten one. <laughs> but by 1947, Hearst was in poor health. He and Marion Davies left the castle that year never to return. So really, it kind of officially, it says it opened in 1919. 
And so, I mean, he got a good amount of time in there, but like, obviously it was under construction literally the entire time he was there. Right. Um, he died in 1951. Marion died in 1957 and he decided to leave the house to the state of California and specifically wanted it to be a museum of all the things that he loved, which I actually think that's a pretty good thing to do with it. No one can receive that. Nobody can, nobody can live in it the way it is. We saw that Isabella Gardner did that in her Boston Mm -hmm. house. And then Jake and I went to this museum in California called the Getty house. That Mm -hmm. was like that. Like when you have a huge space like that and it's beautiful and you have timeless pieces and all this money, like why not give it to the people? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, your daughter's already been a terrorist at this point. Right. Like, what? Granddaughter. <laughs> Granddaughter. And like, not at this point. Yeah, that comes a little bit later. Oh, but... he died before she became a terrorist? Yeah. Oh, good for him. Mm-hmm. Good Thank for goodness. him. Um, yeah, because that was in, like, the 70s, early 80s. Sure. Um, but, yeah, and, I mean, he, Marion died in 1957, and as early as 1958, it was open to visitors. A beautiful place. The Hearst family still owns some of the land, but a lot of the land also, because again, 250,000 acres, was donated to California Parks and Rec and the American Land Conservancy. As it should be. Mm -hmm. The house receives about 750,000 visitors a year and is still regarded as an architectural marvel. Bernard Shaw is said to have described the house as what God would have built if he had the money. (laughs) Perfect. I love that quote. Not on top of Mount Olympus, <laughs> like the normal gods. I know. California. <sighs> Have you ever been to Mount Vernon? Yes, Walking when I was Hinton. a kid. Mm-hmm. So it's very funny because across the Washington bought all the land across the river, mm-hmm. all the acres, mm-hmm. so that nobody could ever destroy his view. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this is very that. It this is, is very, very like, I'm going to buy all the land mm-hmm. just so. Just so. Just so. Just so I can go camping every once in a while. You know. So that is Hearst Castle. Obviously, like, it was decades and decades of work. So, like, there's not – it's impossible to get, like, really deep into it. And I'm not going to go into, like, the details of the Neptune pool. But the pictures are gorgeous, and I really recommend taking a look at it. Um, But other than Hearst Castle, she was very well known for building – YWCA's she built over a dozen in California because she literally wanted the women of California to have access to the same facilities that men had this was very important to her she said you know a lot of young women are coming to California in search of an independent life and they want jobs and freedom and places like the YWCA YWCA they offered clean rooms and board to these women so like she was like they should have a place to feel safe that's also beautiful like i want to do that for them um you know i just cheap places don't have to be ugly that was her kind of motto fair um (laughs) she also designed a building for the monday club this is a charity organization still housed in the same building and this helps uh women and children and san san luis obispo and this is the building that she was like i'll design your building and do all of it if i can you know stay there when i'm in town <laughs> and they're like yes absolutely sure good girl uh she designed a home for elderly women a home for chinese girls and the marg margaret carnegie library and to be clear she often did a lot of this design work for free or very cheap for organizations that she really cared about because she goes i'm getting plenty of money from hearst i do not need to charge 
the, you know, and again, like I said, like Chinese girls, like home, like that's literally what it was. Right. Like, obviously we know there was a lot of Asian families that came to specifically the West coast in California. And this was, they need like, yeah. And this was a home for like young Chinese girls that like didn't have anywhere else to go. And she was like, I'm going to design their home. Like I'm going to do that because like, I think that they should have a safe place to stay. I could list every single building she ever designed, but frankly it would be boring. And (laughs) one of the points of the story is that there are too many buildings to name Yet most people have never heard of her. One of the few public awards that she accepted in her lifetime was the University of California Berkeley Honorary Doctor of Laws degree. It's, this is its highest award. And it was conferred upon her May 15, 1929 with the, personal, with the following personal tribute. Distinguished alumna of the University of California, artist and engineer, designer of simple dwellings and of stately homes, of great buildings nobly planned to further the centralized activities of her fellow citizens, architect in whose works harmony and admirable proportions bring pleasure to the eye and peace to the mind. Julian Morgan retired in 1951 when she was 79 years old. We don't know really anything about her personal life she didn't like to write about herself she never married she had no known romantic relationships and she lived a very simple life julia unlike her parents never wanted to rely on her family money even when she came back from paris dead broke trying to break into the competitive field of architecture she simply learned how to live modestly and she just continued to live that way even after making tons of money designing buildings for the wealthiest people in america we started off the story telling you that julia wasn't even mentioned in the tour of the castle for many many years well now they have a seasonal two hour long tour all about julia they better they fucking better Julia Morgan passed away on February 2nd, 1957 in San Francisco, California at the age of 85. It's her brother's birthday. Mm-hmm. Her body was buried in the Mountain View Cemetery in the hills of Oakland, California. She had a simple obituary in a newspaper in San Francisco because she was a well-known fixture in her hometown, but her name was largely forgotten until decades later when women became dedicated to bringing her back. In 1988, Sarah Holmes Boutel wrote a biography of Julia called simply Julia Morgan Architect. After she went on a tour of Hearst Castle and became irritated that the architect was just some woman. She thought, well, she must be someone to do all of this. So this book took her 14 years to finish and cost her $30,000 of her own money. Because there was so little on her. But thankfully, the work she did helped bring more attention to her and her impact on the world of architecture. She was the first female to be awarded the AIA Gold Medal, the highest award of the American Institute of Architects. Um, But it was in 2014, obviously well after her death. But in the podcast I listened to, they were interviewing the women who were like, 
we just kept submitting her name mm. because there had never been a woman to win this award. <laughs> she was the first one in 2014. They're and like, she's like so worthy. Exactly. Yeah. And they were like, this is so ridiculous. And it was like, the, again, it was a lot of women who opened the doorways for Julia to get where she did. And then it was even more women to open up more doorways to get her recognized for the work that she did. Right. And I think that that is incredible. I agree. There is a ballroom named in her honor. She was inducted into the California Hall of Fame in 2008, and many of her buildings are historic landmarks to be preserved forever. So I just think it's incredible that her buildings are standing, and thanks to a lot of dedicated women, her story is still standing because it was very, very close to being just wiped away. Some woman. <laughs> Some woman. Ugh. And that's Julia Morgan. I love <laughs> it. I love it. I love her. Isn't she great? I love this dream team we just talked about. I know. So I need to plug in this link because I or turn the what can we, I cannot Let me turn see. the light on. Okay. And then we'll do just the two of us. Oh, there we go. Oh, that's perfect. Thank you. I was like, I cannot. Yeah, I can't see anything. Okay. All right. We already sang. Um, wow. They couldn't have started more different. One from like a lot of money. One from not as much money. One who was like really dedicated to education and one who like couldn't go to school. Yeah. Because she was too busy keeping her fucking family afloat. Yeah. And it's interesting because I do feel like they were both kind of well-connected families exposed to a lot, a lot. But one had a lot of money and one didn't. You mm-hmm. know, I think it's interesting that both can exist in the same space. Um, Especially because there's this, like, mix between, I think, um, Julia built a building for theater and for engineering. And I feel like that is the childhood of Angela Lansbury. She was back yes. and forth between the arts and the politics. And it's just these two spaces where you can coexist. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. Because that's the thing I love, that people refer to Julia as an architect and an artist. Artist. And I think that's very important, because I do feel like that applies to Angela, too. Like, she is an actress and an artist. You know, like, I do think that she invokes a lot of that, like, artistic sensibility. And she takes it so seriously. Well, and Angela, from Europe, Mm -hmm. has to get to California. To get her break, right? And Julia from California has to get to Paris, right? Like it's like we they had to switch living arrangements in order to exist in their worlds. Yeah, they did. And they both worked really fucking hard to do it. Yo. Like I think that is such a through line in their two stories. Um, but it's interesting because one of them, Julia, had a really big safety net and she chose not to use it mm. and i think that's very important because they they had both had times when money was really tight there are times when angela lansbury is literally she's like i've been nominated for awards and i have to go to the welfare office yeah and there's a time period where julia was like i don't have i i can't i'm having a hard time making it and instead of going to her family and asking for money like she was like i just have to live within my means i just have to like really cut back and be super frugal and i love that like they both kind of went through those times like 
it's a little hard because I feel like Angela's probably like probably be like, wow, I'd love to have a fucking safety net. Like I would have loved to have some family money to fall back on. And especially because Angela's family fell apart. Sure. Yeah. Julia chose to kind of leave her family, mm-hmm. which I think is another important distinction. And both are difficult, but in different ways. Yeah. I think too that like when you were like part of why they could deal with this is like when you were talking about the building that Julie, the bell tower that uh-huh. she built and how there's an earthquake and everything falls down, but it, mm-hmm. I think that women have to train themselves to be disaster resistant. Yes, I would agree. And I think both mm-hmm. of these women were trained up to be like, Oh, there's a disaster. I will deal with it. Yes. And I don't think men have the same training in the same way. It's no. not that they don't resist disasters. They do. Of course they do. Mm-hmm. But there is that you could see the disaster resistance spirit in these women. Absolutely. And I also think that their biggest projects, the things that they're probably the most well known for, like we're talking about Hearst Castle, Murder, She Wrote, those really seemed like good working relationships. Yeah. Hearst Castle, I loved that it was really... Uh, a collaboration between the two of them. They just went off each other. They loved working with one another. They had kind of like a Jack Donaghy, Liz Lemon type of like mentor mentee. Co- me- like, and not even, it's, it's like I want to describe them like that because they had such a good relationship, but like she didn't need a mentor at this point. She's so more of a partnership. Yeah, she just needed someone to like really jive with and i love that it was him and i love that angela lansbury on murder she wrote is like they're like we're gonna write to you we're going to put little things in the show that are just for you and we're gonna write to you and i just i think that that's how really good working relationships should be it shouldn't be you know we're gonna suck the life out of you mm-hmm. <laughs> It's we're going to collaborate and make the best thing possible because we respect each other. Yeah. I like I was also thinking about the fact that Angela was a literal refugee. Yeah. And then a lot of what was being built by Julia were like housing to protect people who, yeah. who were immigrants or struggling with for housing and like people who. People who have gone through a disaster don't have to live in the slums. We don't right. have to do that to people. We choose to as a society mm-hmm. to do that to people. Yeah. And Julia was a woman who said is enough is enough, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that that's a very powerful thing, especially because of the homeless crisis that exists in California where she was a resident. Yeah. Well, and it's like that's one of the great takeaways of their stories. It's like they. Because they had been through hard times, because they had really tried to like make it on their own they saw how hard life was for certain people and they tried to make it better julia tried to make it better by building respectable housing for people i hate that we just think that like people who are going through hard times should just live terrible terrible lives it's like a shelter in place situation (laughs) it's like calm down i just i i hate i hate the judgment of like well, you're poor, like, you don't have a lot of money, like, you're housing insecure, so, like, you should live in the fucking slums. Like, you should live terribly. We're gaslighting them. 
Exactly. Bring it back around. Bring it back That's around. That's what we're doing. And so she was like, I want to give these people respectable places to live. And Angela did that with people who had AIDS, struggling actors. She would put in her show to be like, you need, you need your SAG card renewed. I'm going to fucking help you with that. Like, here's seven lines. Here's seven lines. Just come on. Because that is taking care of your community. And both of these women, I think, took care of their communities beautifully. Angela had ramps built on the set for the actor with MS. Oh, just so they could get on come the set. On. Like that. She's like, this is a space. This is a space that's open to all people. Yeah. It's not like that's what this is. And guess who had to come in and fix that? Yeah. We had to have construction workers and engineers and architects. I, this is how we all help these people. People. What an <sighs> amazing. Ah, what a two great women who coexisted bro. in California. I know. This <laughs> <laughs> wow all right who would you like to toast this evening um so i want to toast people who keep moving forward yeah i think um there's a lot of crashing down and it's easy to break down and everybody deserves to break down mm -hmm. but it's about that next day when you get up and you're like hey it happened mm -hmm. and now i'm going here yeah like her kid was in the manson family <sighs> Her other kid overdosed on heroin, and she said, here's the new plan. Yeah. You just find a new plan. Yeah. I, and it, you know, it's hard to do, but I just cheers to people who really do yeah. that, because that's Agreed. a lot. Cheers. Cheers. Who are you cheersing? I'm going to toast. <laughs> yeah, toast, I mean. <laughs> the Forgotten Woman who weren't really super concerned with being remembered. It's so fascinating to me. She just didn't care. care. I like, love that for her. She cared so much about the work that she did, but she was very unconcerned with preserving legacy. Her legacy, which is, I don't know. It's hard to wrap my head around. That, it's a like, very monar like, um, monarchy-style thought. Yeah. You know, some mm -hmm. women just don't have that. Yeah, and I, I just, I don't know. It makes me almost like like her even more that she wasn't like, remember me. <laughs> she was like, you're not going to know shit about me. It's going to. I lived. I'm some woman. She baby. died I'm in. Some woman. What was it? 1957 yeah. or something. What was yeah. It? Our parents were alive when she died. All right. She died in 1957. Yeah. <laughs> And in 1988, it took 14 years to write a biography of her. And that's she's, when it was finished. So it was started a couple years after she died. She's practically my aunt. <laughs> Come on. That's yeah. insane. Um, so, yeah. Cheers to those mysterious ladies. <laughs> mysterious baby girls. <laughs> now, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So I just want to say there's a website. Mm-hmm. That I use, like when I make my Today in History posts, history posts, um, that is just great. They post four times a month. It's called WOW, all caps, mm -hmm. Trailblazing Women. And they update four times a month. Okay. And they just have the dates listed. September 1st, all the things that happened September 1st mm -hmm. with women. Whether they were born, published a book, a Supreme Court case, some, from all over the world. Yeah. Nine days later, bam, here's the next week. Hmm. Here's the next week. It just is such an amazing resource, and it's like an ongoing blog because she does it every year and adds to it every year. Yeah. So she'll be like, you know, when I started using it in 2018, there were like 
three girls for every day. Yeah. Now there's like 15 with a paragraph a piece. Wow. And it's just a great website. So wow. If you type in wow, trailblazing women from history, you get this website and it'll say here's July, here's August, here's September. And it's great. I'm really proud of whoever this blogger is. (laughs) Whoever this person is, it's a great website. I use it as a resource every day to bring you facts. Perfect. Love it. What are you in? I am into making your home screen widgets work for you. <laughs> I did not know that you could retool your home screen to make some of the little icons bigger. Yeah. So right now I have two big widgets. I have my like step counter and my duolingo i mean look at that they're, they're big. so big yeah and now every time i open my phone and i see the little duolingo owl sleeping i'm like i gotta wake him up yeah he's tired let me tell you i'm on a pretty intense streak right now yeah i have not missed a day of duolingo <laughs> since july 11th yeah since july 11th girl and i'm with you i'm really like, I have not used one streak freeze, and I think it's because of my big widget. I love the catered screens. I love it. They're I love beautiful. They can just specialize it and make it like, work for you. Like, this is what I want better. So if you didn't know that, I didn't know that you could just, like, tool it to, like, oh, this is what I want to see when I do it. And, like, I don't know. I just thought that was great. So it is. That's, making your is widgets, good. just spend a couple minutes retooling your home screen. Like, my Instagram is now, like, on a little file folder on, like, the third page. That's, like, what I need to do. Like, mm-hmm. I haven't done it. I see people's phones who do it, and yeah. I'm like, that's amazing. I know. It looks so much better. So just take a couple minutes. Sure. And do that. Make, it, make your whole life easier. Come on. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to the season premiere yeah. of season 16. Um, you can follow us everywhere. And if you want a little bit more of all this, you can join us on Patreon. For it's about to be fun. Ooh, I have a good, good topic ta- tonight. Ooh, okay. <laughs> for as little as a dollar a month, you can spend just a little extra time with us and you can support the show, buy us a drink and make sure that we continue to tell the stories of amazing women like Angela and Julia. Uh, But mostly we want you to never forget that well-behaved women don't put their name on the side of buildings. No, they don't. And they rarely make history. (laughs) Goodbye. You've been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.